Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. All right. Good morning, Ascent. How are you guys doing? Look good. Look sharp. Uh, It is uh, already summer, which is crazy for me to believe. And we're already at the end of our series in First Peter. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in chapter 5, uh, finishing off this letter where Liz just read for us. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for a vote here in just a minute, uh, because the, I really, when I was preparing the sermon this week, uh, I, I think I prepare sermons in the worst way possible, because my ADHD brain, I see like four or five different sermons, and most guys, I think, would just choose one and then just prep one. I just prep all five. Uh, and then when I get up here, I kind of just choose what I want to say. And uh, so I, 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 could, I had two, two sermons that I couldn't narrow it down between. So I'm going to let you guys vote. Uh, and then I'm probably just going <laughs> to preach whatever I want anyways. And if you're wondering, neither of the sermons is shorter. So that's not going to come into play with the vote. Now, just a couple of quick pastoral announcements. Uh, starting next week, I'm really excited for it. Uh, every June, kind of a rhythm we've had at Ascent, we're going to continue to have, is uh, I step off of the stage and I allow other guys to step onto the stage. Uh, so we're going to have some guys preach their first ever sermon. Uh, Rick Hay is going to preach his second sermon. Uh, so we'll be praying for Rick. See, I see, yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. I say it from the stage so he can't get out of it. And, uh, and so I'm really excited for it. And uh, also, uh, on your seat, you had a whole bunch of papers. N- number one, you had a Connect card. I'd love for you to fill this out if you're new with us or you have any kind of prayer requests. And you can drop that in the offering uh, bucket on the way out. This is uh, the way that I connect with you. I know for uh, a lot of you after the service, if you try to talk to me, it takes about three seconds. Somebody catches me, and then I'm kind of stuck. And so, really, this provides us a way to, to open up a line of communication where we can talk uh, for more time. And then uh, the other thing on there is your baptism sign-up. So June... I'm going to lie. 27th, I think. I don't have a calendar. I just made that up. Am I right? Man, I'm good. Yes, praise God. Man, I didn't even get an applause for that. I know it's just stop. stop. Yeah, stop it. Stop it. I had to ask for it. Uh, uh, June 27th, we're going to have baptism. And so if you want to go public with your faith, uh, you go ahead and sign up for here, and I, I will give you a call, get in touch with you, and talk about next steps there. Uh, this is really the way we profess our faith in Jesus, uh, is by going public in baptism. And then the last card... Uh, is Team 60. And uh, basically, this is to help us become a grown-up church. So we are about to, in September, be two years old as a church. So we're getting out of diapers, and we're going to start saying our first words pretty soon. And what that means is, is we've got to start supporting ourselves. So for the first two to three years of a church plant, usually outside support uh, is what pays the way for the church to go. But this thing happened called COVID-19. And so all of our outside support was like, dude, we're going to we're going to help you this year. And then you're on your own. So we're kind of like jumping out of the airplane without a parachute. And uh, this is just my way of telling you and trying to help us as a church family begin to support our church. So Team 60 uh, is people who would sign up to agree to give at least $60 a week. Uh, for at least a year. And uh, it works out to about like $8 a day, which you guys probably all spend at McDonald's. If you're me, I do, uh, which is how I got this amazing physique. Uh, And the laughter hurts. 
a little bit. Uh, team 60 is, is kind of our way of supporting the church. It comes out to like 260 a month, or maybe less than that even. And so for some of you, if, if you want to tithe and give more, you could give more. You can sign up for two or three of these. But what we need is we need 35 people uh, to sign up for Team 60. And I know for Taylor and I, we're already like thinking about our budget as we go uh, through June. We're going to have some things freed up. And we're like, how much more can we possibly give to Ascent? Because we believe in it. And uh, if you believe in Ascent, I would love to invite you to do that also. Now, if you're a guest with us visiting, obviously feel no obligation to do that. Uh, but I do want to brag on you guys for your generosity. Uh, yesterday, we did our last distribution in the community. And I think Lindsay said something crazy, like 200 cars or something came through from two different states and 14 different towns uh, to receive food, which is really awesome. Amen? Amen. All right. And so our goal with this is actually we can work it into the budget. So if we get all 35 of these... Uh, then next year we won't have to rely on support from other people and help from other people to make these things happen. We'll be able to love on our community whenever we want. And uh, the really cool thing about that is, is when we see a need, we won't have to ask for money. We'll just go fill the need. Uh, because as a church, we try really hard to keep our budget pretty tight so that we can go out and we can uh, do what I think we're supposed to do, which is help the poor and the widows and the people in the community and uh, obviously preach the gospel. Amen? So that's what we're going to do. That's Team 60. If you want to sign up for that, do it. Drop it in the offering drop box in the back. And then we, uh, we secure these in a very, very, very safe location. And if you're like, I don't really want to fill that out, uh, I'd rather just tell somebody. Uh, Lindsay. Good, who will be at the kids' check-in in the back, probably at the end of the service, will uh, be able to help you uh, enter that in so you don't have to put your card information on something if you do not want to. Okay, now here's for the vote. Are you ready for this? All right, so sermon number one is all about leadership. Uh, I want to focus on like the first five verses of First Peter, uh, where he's talking about what it means to be a healthy leader. And by the way, you all are leaders. Anybody who has influence is a leader. So if you're a mom and a dad, you're leading your household. That's influence. You're a leader. Some of you in your jobs, you're a manager. You're, you're a leader of your company. And ultimately what Peter is talking about, what about the leaders of the church? So what, what does it look like to influence others? Okay, that's sermon number one. Sermon number two is all about anxiety. And what do we do with our anxiety? I know none of you guys are anxious, but the rest of the world is. And so I thought maybe it would be helpful for you guys if we talked a little bit about anxiety and what the Bible says about it. Uh, and how the Bible actually talks about how we deal with our anxiety. It doesn't actually say anxiety is a sin, but it tells us how to deal with our anxiety when it comes up. And anxiety can actually be a great teacher if we'll allow it to be. So sermon number one, leadership. Sermon number two, anxiety. We're going to take a vote. Vote number one. How many of you want to hear a sermon on leadership? Wow, that, that failed miserably. <laughs> Okay, in the middle, this will help me too. How many of you are not going to raise your hand no matter what the pastor says? Okay, that's what I thought. It's usually 50%. Okay, uh, anxiety. How many of you guys want to hear a sermon on that? Okay, anxiety is the winner. Darn it. Going to sermon number two. All right, so I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll, I'll talk. Actually, I'm going to set it up. I'm going to do verses one through five really quickly, just so you know the context. Uh, one through six, so you know the context, and I'll pray, and then we'll talk about anxiety. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 says, I exhort, that word could also be urge or invite, the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that'd be Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, and that word younger is not always age, it's, it's a lot of times wisdom or maturity, which I'm pretty young either way you look at it, uh, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. 
because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, a lot of pastors just start with verse 5 and they're like, be subject to the elders. But we can't forget that verses 1 through 4 told us what the elder was supposed to be like. And really the whole point of the leadership sermon, which I'm not preaching, okay, uh, was that submission is earned. Submission is not forced, it's earned. Peter says, be an example to the flock. So you don't submit to me because I tell you to submit to me. You should submit to me because you want to. Like, I can say it this way. List, you should find a mentor and listen to the mentor. Like, all of us would agree with that. Like, I, I have guys in my life who I, I respect their opinion enough to listen to it, even when I don't fully understand what's going on. The pastors of the local church should be like that in your life. Okay, uh, and then it says this uh, about those who want to be leaders eventually. Verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. In other words, trust God's plan so that he may exalt you at the proper time. You want to be a leader? Then wait for God to raise you up. Don't try to force your way to the top because God's going to take care of it. If you're meant to be a leader, you'll be a leader in God's time and in God's way. All right, let's pray. That was a leadership sermon. Amen. You guys are great leaders now. Let's talk about anxiety. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the apostle Peter who, who got to witness your sufferings, who got to witness your glories, the, the resurrection. Lord, thank you so much that Peter did not just keep all that in his head, but that he sat down at the end of his life to give advice to those of us who would try to follow Jesus some 2,000 years later. Lord, I pray that as we talk about anxiety and casting our cares upon you and looking to you for our ultimate source of peace and learning from our anxieties and learning about what they teach us when we find those moments of anxiousness and worrying. Lord, I pray that in all of this, Lord, you would show us what you want us to hear. Or anything that I say that is untrue, I just pray that you would just wash it away from the memory of my people. But Lord, the truth that you want them to hear, I pray that you'd highlight it in their minds. I pray that this wouldn't just be a message for 30 minutes, but it'd be something that affects them and helps them for the rest of their life as they seek to try to follow you. Jesus, I can't do that, but you can. Lord, I love you and I praise you. Amen. All right. So verse seven, he says this, he says, casting all your cares in the Greek, that word is literally your objects of anxiety. How many of you guys have objects of anxiety, right? And they probably live under your roof uh, or it's the bank account number that you have, right? You know, it's like my anxiety is fine when the bank's got a lot of money in it. And then as I saw that thing starting to trickle, I'm like, oh gosh, anxiety starts to go up. We all have these objects of anxiety in our lives. And what Peter says to do with those is to cast them upon God. Why? Because he cares about you. That's the same word there. Now, the reason they translate it care is because I think theologically it is correct. But that's the same word, object of anxiety. So in in a sense, what we can say is, just as you're anxious about your children and the things that are going on in their life, that's how God feels about you. He cares about you. He wants what is good for you. He is worried about you. He is sick when you are sick. My, my wife uh, loves our dog like a child. And I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's creepy to some people. Uh, I, my neighbor, Trent, he's smiling because he's seen this firsthand. Uh, I carry her like a baby and everything. And, and this past week, uh, my, my poor baby had, had to have surgery. So you guys are supposed to say, oh, nobody. I had to ask for it. It's just, you guys will learn. It's okay. Uh, so the, the, the nail was twisted sideways. They had to take the nail out. And uh, so, I mean, her nail's completely gone. She has 14 stitches. She has to wear the cone of shame. And it's, it's really, it's just a sad deal, right? Well, my wife immediately, as soon as our, our, we get our dog back. Well, first off, we didn't get the dog back. She had to stay the night. So my wife didn't sleep at all. She kept, like, waking me up. You think Bella's okay? I'm like, oh, she's fine. Just let me sleep, you know? But uh, she's not in the service, I don't think. So I can say whatever I want. 
Okay, okay, good. Uh, I was like, well, maybe she is. Uh, so anyways, we, we get her home finally, and then um, they give her this antibiotic. She starts freaking out. Her muzzle starts swelling up. I don't see anything. And Taylor's like, I think we need to take her back to the vet. And I, Honestly, guys, I was not a very godly man. I, uh, I was annoyed. I came home. I was like, this is ridiculous. She's a dog. She's fine. And uh, she's like, can't you see that it's swollen? Nope. I don't see anything wrong with this dog. Well, anyways, we take her to the vet, and Taylor was right. Uh, she's having an allergic reaction to the antibiotics, and, and so she had to stay again. And this whole week, my wife has been kind of an, an emotional wreck, if I'm going to be honest with you, about our puppy because she loves our puppy. Now, those of you that are, chi- are parents, you know it's probably 10 times that with your children. And what the Scriptures are saying here is that it's even 20, 30, infinitely times that with God, with you. He loves you individually. He cares about you individually, and he wants you to cast your cares upon him, to tell him your anxieties, to pray and talk to him about your anxieties. And this does not mean just one time. You know, that's what I used to think about. Like, give give my cares to God. Okay, I told him, and I'm still anxious. It didn't work, right? Like, it didn't stick. And, and what this scripture is really saying is, no, it's, it's not like you just tell him once and he fixes it. It's, it's over and over and over and over again. You're telling God how you feel. You're telling him about your anxieties. And this is where the, the kind of the skeptic in me says, well, Blake, if God is all-knowing, if he's all-powerful, why in the world do I have to tell him about my anxieties? Like, can't he just look into my head and see my anxieties? Why do I need to express those anxieties to him? And I would just say this. The reason we pray is not to get God to do something different. It's to transform us. See, and this is actually a huge kind of misconception about prayer. But we think we pray to try to manipulate God like he's a vending machine. Like if I pray with the right amount of faith and I hold my tongue just in the right position and I have just, you know, the the, the right amount of chutzpah, I can get God to, that's a big word, uh, get God to, to do what I want him to do. And if I don't have it all right, then God won't do what I want him to do. And in reality, we do pray about our circumstances and prayer does change our circumstances, but prayer primarily changes what? It changes me. It changes my heart. See, see, I start praying about my enemy that I can't stand, and I start praying and praying and praying and praying, and guess what? Before long, my heart begins to soften towards my enemy, because I remember how God loved me when I was his enemy. Yeah. See, this is what uh, the Apostle Paul says uh, in Romans 5, 6, and 11, and I'm going to stop here for a rabbit trail because it's Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial weekend, Memorial Day is tomorrow. And uh, we have, uh, it's the day we celebrate our veterans who, who gave their life for their country. And uh, how many of you know a, a military person who gave their life for our country? Yeah, thank you. Uh, we, we honor them because they were willing to give their life for a cause greater than themselves. And this is actually a great representation of what Jesus Christ does for us. Uh, Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though a good person, perhaps someone, though for a good person, someone might even dare to die. In other words, most people are not going to die for anybody, but some people, a really good person might die for somebody who's, who's good. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, Will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. In other words, 
Uh, our military men, they died for our country. They died for the people that they were a part of, their country. Which Jesus actually takes it a step further because he doesn't just die for the people who are on his team. Who does he die for? He dies for his, his enemies. He dies for those who spit in his face with sin. See, this is what separates Christianity, I think, from every other religion. And that is, Jesus doesn't ask us to come to him all cleaned up, ready to go. We come to him as enemies of the gospel, and he lays down his life anyways, and he dies for us. You see, so as I begin to pray to Jesus, my heart begins to soften towards my enemy, and I begin to change the way I act around my enemy. And guess what? As I begin to change the way I act around my enemy, my enemy begins to change the way they act around me. See, this is how prayer is supposed to work, and it's how it works with your anxieties as well. That as we worry, we're supposed to cast it out to God. Um, And for me, one of the biggest things that has been super helpful in my journey, even in this past year, because I'm growing in this, uh, what I usually do with my anxieties is I I bottle them up uh, and then I have internal conversations with myself. Right. Like, Blake, quit being so stupid. Uh, You know, just get over it. You need to quit worrying. I'm I'm really mean and harsh to myself. I don't know if you guys are like that, but I'm way meaner to myself than I actually am to other people, especially with my anxieties. And so for me to actually express that to God has been something very new for me. Uh, Because for a long time growing up, I thought God thought my anxiety was a sin. Like the anxiety itself was a sin. And as you read the scriptures, you don't actually see that. It's what we do with our anxiety that can become a sin. And if we bottle anxiety up and we don't share it with God, we don't share it with others, we will either explode or implode. This is why people who bottle things up, they either go into depression and kind of hurt themselves with things through like addictions and alcohol and drugs and food and all sorts of ways that we implode on ourselves or they explode. It's the person who's really calm, really calm, really calm, really calm. And then boom, they exploded. And you're like, whoa, what in the world just happened there? It's because they didn't actually conversate with God and cast their cares on him. They just tried to bottle them up and take care of it themselves. And God says, no, the reason I want you to pray is not because I need to know anything. The reason I want you to pray is because it's good for you. So really practically, here's how Blake Farley does this. I I pull out my feeling wheel, uh, which is uh, a a brand new invention to me uh, in the past two years. And uh, because I thought there was only like four or five feelings that you could possibly feel. This thing has 78 feelings on it. And uh, I begin to look through the feelings and and I'll find the feelings that kind of resonate with me. And then I get an electronic journal I have. Uh, that's secure. Nobody else can see it. And I hope nobody else does see it. And what I do is I, I'll pull up and I'll write the date and then I just go to town. I write out a prayer to God. It, I don't care about grammar. I don't care about anything. And, it, and it's ugly, right? If you were trying to read it, you wouldn't even understand what I was saying. Uh, there's curse words in it sometimes because I'm just expressing my heart to God. And if you say, Blake, you shouldn't say curse words in your prayers. Uh, that was my best church lady voice. Uh, you're welcome for the impersonations. Uh, I would tell you, read the Psalms because David is uh, borderline bipolar in them, right? Like, like in, in one Psalm, it's God, you're so majestic and beautiful. And I love you. The very next Psalm, God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? Like he's an atheist and then he's a believer. He's just going back and forth because God can handle it. Right? Like God doesn't get his feelings hurt by Blake Farley. It's already inside of me. So by keeping it inside of me, God already knows that the only one that's hurting is myself by not expressing these things. We must cast our cares upon God. And this is a, a new talent for a lot of us. And so it's something I would love to help you with. I'll even get you your very own feeling wheel if you want it. Verse 7. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Now, verse 8, we begin to see... Uh, the effects of anxiety. Anxiety makes us weak, and we have to be aware of that. It says this, Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. 
Verse 8 says, be sober-minded. Now, when we think of that, we immediately probably think of things we ingest into our bodies, right? We think of alcohol or drugs, things that make us out of our mind. And what we mean by sober, not sober, is when they're they're out of control. Like, you've probably never seen a drunk person and thought, that guy's really smart. Uh, Because you tend to make pretty bad decisions when you're not all there. Uh, So... There is that sense of it where it's like be sober-minded, stay away from those things because you're probably not going to make the best decisions. Uh, But there's also this reality that our emotions can make us drunk in a sense, right? Like how many of you have made a decision when you were angry and you act out of the anger and you wish you could take those words back, but you can't now? See, and the same is true in our anxiety. Anxious people do things that they probably shouldn't do because they're anxious, it's, it's like, um, you know, if you see a car salesman who hasn't sold enough cars, an anxious salesman is one of the worst types of salesmen there are, right? Because they're desperate, they're needy. Well, the same is true in our anxiety. When we get anxious about something, we begin to make rash decisions that are not healthy decisions. Whether it's something our children are doing, something in our finances, something in our job, and you lose your job, and then the next day you're signing up for a job across the country. Why? Well, because you're anxious. There's no patience in it. And so what Peter is saying is saying that's not necessarily a bad thing to have anxiety because we can't, it's a human thing. We're all anxious people, but you have to separate yourself from your anxiety and say, okay, I'm feeling anxious right now, so I'm not going to make any big decisions. Be alert, he says. Be self-aware. John Calvin, a famous theologian, he says, to know God is to know yourself. And I really believe that to be true. The more we're able to be self-aware of ourselves, it opens us up to understand God and know God more. So he says, be sober-minded and alert. And why is this so important, Peter? He says, because the devil is prowling around looking for someone to destroy. How does the devil destroy us? Scripturally speaking, I know this might be a hard concept for some of you who are like, I don't even know if I believe in the devil or what the concept of the devil is, but just stick with me. Uh, The devil in scripture goes around and he tries to get people to sin. What's the big deal about sin? See, a lot of people think God's up in heaven and he's just like a fun killer. He's just like, no fun, swat. And that's why he hates sin. That's not God. God hates sin because sin always leads to death and he loves you. He wants you to have life. It's why you put a fence in your backyard. It's not because you hate your kids. It's not because you think, I don't want you guys to play outside this yard. It's because you love your kids and you don't want them in the road because that does not lead to life. It's not healthy. So that's why God puts these barriers up and he calls it sin when we go outside of those barriers. And what you have to understand is, is that the devil wants you outside of those barriers. He wants you to sin, to implode or to explode because he knows it's going to be bad for you. It's going to lead to death. And so if I was the devil and I'm prowling around looking for somebody to get, you think I'm going for the guy who's completely sane, the guy who's alert, the guy who knows what's going on, or the girl who is out of her mind being controlled by her anger or anxiety? I'm going to go with option B. Sorry, ladies. I don't know why I made you the emotional one. Uh, <laughs> probably should reverse that in hindsight all right so what do we do peter verse nine resist him firm in the faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world here's uh really the third thing when it comes to fighting anxiety and that is you cannot do it alone you cannot resist the devil alone peter immediately goes to resisting him firm in the faith but then what does he do he connects it with the other believers in the world And again, I don't know about you. Not only did I not tell God about my anxieties and my anger and what I was suffering with, but I didn't tell anybody. Like it was all Blake and Blake. My mind was a war field, as you guys can imagine. Uh, I I thought it was normal to have full conversations with yourself, but people tell me it's not. And 
Because we're, we're made for community. We're made to be in community with one another and talk to one another. There's supposed to be this intimate connection in the church where we can take off our mask and we can be totally honest with people. It's why we ought to have good pastors in our churches. That when you're anxious, you can come to me and say, Blake, I lost my job. I don't know what's going on. I'm thinking about taking this job in Colorado. And I could say, well, just hang one minute, please. Just hang on a second. Because here's the thing. No matter how big your crisis is that you're anxious over, I'm not as anxious about it. Just like you're not as anxious about my anxieties. Right? Like, for instance, some of you, I know this because in coronavirus season, you lost your job. And I felt awful. I was sad. I was upset. And I prayed for you. But it wasn't the same kind of anxiety. You know why? Because it didn't affect my food on my table. But on the reverse, when all the churches got shut down, I was really anxious. And some of you were like, well, what's the big deal? I mean, you were upset. You were praying for me, whatever. But it wasn't as big of a deal to you because it didn't affect your life personally. And we need people in our lives that can help us from a perspective that is different from our own, help us with our anxieties so that we're not uh, taken in the ways of death, in the ways of the devil. That we can resist him because we know the right things to do. And I love the, the idea of community that's laid out in the end of this. So 12 through 14, I'm going to skip down to the bottom. It says, through Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you. This is the whole reason for the letter to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So what we believe Sylvanius did uh, was one of two things. He either wrote the letter for Paul or for Peter as he's growing older. He probably can't write as well. And so Sylvanius, he's saying it and Sylvanius is taking it and putting it in, in this beautiful language for us. Uh, or, and probably both, Sylvanius then would take the letter to the churches. It would go around. Uh, they didn't have Facebook Live to, to get it to everybody. So Sylvanius would have to go around and he would open the scroll and he would read it. And then everybody would say, okay, Sylvanius, what in the world did Peter mean by this? And he would say, well, I was with Peter and here's what he meant by this. He would explain it. He'd kind of do what I'm doing. Uh, and then we keep reading on. It says this, verse 13, she who is in Babylon, that's another word for Rome. Uh, it was kind of almost a slander at the time because in the Old Testament, Babylon is this horrible, uh, the Bible calls her a whore. Uh, it's the Bible's language, not mine. Uh, God doesn't like Babylon. And so Peter here is saying Rome is the new Babylon. Right? This is the, the greatest threat to Christianity. And, and it was. I mean, Rome hated Christians. And so it says this, chosen together with you, together with you, Sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son, which we just finished the gospel of Mark. And this is one of the reasons why we believe that the gospel of Mark is actually from Peter's perspective. It's the very first gospel. And we believe uh, that Peter sat down with John Mark at the end of his life. And he said, "Okay, here's the story of Jesus. And then John Mark, praise be to God, writes down the whole story of Jesus. At that time, it was just completely oral culture and and John Mark says, you know, what, I think we need to, this is kind of a big deal. We probably need to write this story down. And so they write down the story of Jesus, which is awesome. Do you see the community, though? Peter's not doing any of this by himself. It all is together. And then it says this. This is a little bit uh, weird. We're not going to institute this one in, at ascent. <laughs> Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Praise God that we don't uh, greet each other with kisses of love anymore. Uh, because it's, it's a cultural thing. Uh, but it does, I think, mean uh, that we ought to be the type of family uh, that you come to your church family. And if you're not the type of person that hugs, you accept a hug from these people because they're family. Right. I don't think Liz Admire or Lindsay Good would mind me telling you that they don't like hugs. Uh, they particularly hate hugs, in fact. And yet I think they would also tell you that ascent has made them a little warmed up to hugs because you come in here and you can't help it. Like you're going to get hugged by people. If, you, if you're a guest and you don't like hugs, I'm sorry. Just 
Like, just, you're going to have to deal with it for a little bit because there's just some people I can tell them stop hugging and they're just not going to stop hugging. Because we, we really see each other. Liz is pointing fingers. Uh, Miss Wendy uh, calling people out. <clears throat> because there's just something about a family that you hug. And, and Peter would say, we're actually supposed to treat the people in the church as our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And I would just ask you, if you're isolated and you're anxious, do you think the two might be connected? Because I do. I honestly think if, if we express our anxieties to one another, just expressing them to one another and getting perspectives from other people who believe in Jesus and help us understand the gospel of Jesus, that we're going to be less anxious people. All right. These are all, by the way, really simple things to do, but really hard. Right? Like it's easy for me to say, basically what I'm saying is talk to God and talk to other people, which is really a simple thing, but it's really hard, isn't it? Like we, we fear what people are going to think about us. We fear that people don't care about what we're talking about. And we'd rather just kind of keep it inside, which does nobody no good. Okay, we'll close with this, these two verses here. We'll close with it. That doesn't mean I'm almost done, by the way. I just... <laughs> Verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. You guys know what Peter means by a little while, right? He means your whole life, uh, which is not exactly what we want to hear, right? It's like, you're just going to suffer for a little while. Okay, like 15 minutes, 30 minutes, uh, 70 years. <laughs> okay, but in the grand scheme of things, and here's what Peter is doing. In the grand scheme of things, in the gospel, Jesus has put eternal life into us. And that 3,000, 30,000, 3 billion 30 trillion years from now, your bank account right now is not going to matter very much. I know it doesn't feel that way right now, but in the grand scheme of things, it's just really not going to matter all that much. And you see, this is how the gospel transforms our anxiety. And I didn't want to start here because the easy answer is to say, Jesus, give Jesus your anxiety. And it kind of just comes off as a little bit shallow or hollow. Like, what does that actually mean? But it is a very important part to know that the gospel of Jesus should make us people who are able to have this sense of calmness, even when life seems like there's storms all around us. We should be weird. We should be the people who, even though everything's crushing in on us, we're like, it's, it is what it is. You know, I trust in the Lord to be that kind of person, not pushing away our trials as if they don't exist, but to have this kind of calmness, this kind of this hope and this confidence in what Jesus Christ has done. Why? Why can we have that confidence? Because he's already done something so much greater for us, friends. In fact, this is what Paul argues in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He says this. It's so simple, and yet it's, it's so profound if we will live it out in our lives, and, and if we can grasp it, not in our, just our heads, but in our hearts. Romans eight thirty-two. he says, He, being God, did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all. How will he also not with him grant us everything? The God of this universe loved you so much that he sent his son to come and live the life you couldn't live and to take the penalty that you deserve to pay, taking nine inch nails through both of his wrists and his feet as he bled and he died on the cross of Calvary for your sins. He was forsaken by God in ways we cannot even fully imagine that the second member of the Trinity on the cross, this, this, we can't even comprehend it in our minds, would cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is something that we cannot even fully comprehend. And yet he did that for us. And if the God of the universe would do that for us, and he would say, I'm going to work all things out to good, for your good and my glory. If he would do that, then what makes you think he won't care about your children going to the first day of school? What, do you, what, do you, what makes you think you won't, he won't care about you and your, your health issues? 
What makes you think he won't work out for good your finances when things are not going the way they're supposed to? Now, his definition of good and yours might be different, but that's where we trust God, that he is the one who is ultimately planning and orchestrating everything in this universe for his good. See, in in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And and when I read that the first time, I kind of had this image of of, of a negative view of God, like the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves or you're going to get squashed like a fly. But really what I think Peter means is God is powerful. And if you trust that you're in his hands, you don't really have to worry very much, do you? See, it's kind of like if you ever watch a scary movie and then you watch a scary movie a second time. Uh, you're not as scared, are you? Right? Because you, you know what's coming. It's, it's, not, it's not a shock to you. Uh, it's kind of fun to watch it with friends who don't know you've watched it the first time because you're just like really uh, cool and like they're like, man, how do you not get scared? So, I don't know, I'm just kind of tough. Uh, I'm, I, I had nightmares from 101 Dalmatians, so I stay away from scary movies completely. That's embarrassing. Confession is good for the soul. Bad for the reputation, though. Uh, anyways, I don't even know where I was going with that. Oh, I do know where I was going with that. In the gospel, we can have confidence that we know how the story is going to end, don't we, friends? That if Jesus would rise again on the third day and he says he's going to come back, we have confidence to believe that what he says is true. So even when the world's crashing in around us, we need people around us to remind us of this gospel truth. And then here's the last thing. And Molly, if you want to go ahead and come up. Uh, I believe anxiety can be a great teacher. And verse 11 shows us this. It says, to him be dominion forever. Amen. To him be dominion, which would be like the kingdom, the power. It's all his power. Now, what anxiety reveals to us, and it's a part of all of our experiences, is it reveals to us our idols. It reveals to us where we are finding comfort in places other than God. Because if we really believed fully and totally, and I don't mean just here, but I mean here, uh, that Jesus was king of the universe and everything was under his dominion, we would never be anxious. We would never be angry. We would be perfect. We'd be like Jesus. But none of us are like Jesus. Anybody like Jesus yet? No? Okay, good. That's another sermon if you said yes. We have to talk about mental health. Uh, None of us are quite there. Why? Well, it's because we have these idols in our life that we find comfort in. And our idols are, are all different. That's why your anxiety seems foolish to me. And my anxiety seems foolish to you. Right? Because I'm anxious about this thing and you're anxious about this thing. But really what it's revealing is you find comfort in that thing. Your kids make you anxious about what they're doing. You're finding a source of comfort in your children that belongs to God. See, and it's this work that we can begin to do to repent and to say, God, these are not my children. They're ultimately your children. That ultimately you are the one who protects them. Or if you find anxiety like I do, just to be honest with you, when my bank account's not at a certain number, when I begin to kind of go down and and I'm not really sure how the numbers are all going to work out. What does that reveal about me? Well, it reveals that I'm kind of living in the dominion of money, aren't I? Like I think money's the thing that's going to make it all right. I think money's the thing that is going to give me the ultimate source of comfort. And you see, so our anxieties give us an opportunity to repent, to turn, to say, God, I, I want to trust not in money, not in things. I want to trust in you. Friends, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our Father. God, I think we say that so often as Christians, and I pray it so often, and I talk about it so often that it's easy to forget how powerful it is that you call us your children. I'm a child of God. My dad owns and runs the universe. This is your kingdom, your dominion. Lord, help me to believe that at levels I have not yet reached. 
God, help me to trust in you when my world is crashing all around me. God, help me to find peace in you when I feel anxious. And God, please, please help me to rely on my brothers and sisters in Christ to the power of your Holy Spirit, to talk to them and to talk to you, to not hold it in so that I either explode or implode, but to, but to truly find the peace that I desire that is only found in you and your kingdom. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name I pray, amen. Friends, let's stand and sing to this God. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.